Hello, The Line podcast listeners and lovers. Normally, you would be expecting to hear from Matt and Jen Gerson today, who would frequently go on and on about the latest in Canadian politics and media. Today, we're doing something new. Today, we are going to bring on Patricia Treble, who is a noted Canadian royalty expert and royals watcher. So if you want to listen to Matt and I go on, you're going to have to wait until tomorrow, because today there is a lot to talk about in the sphere of the royal tea. Um, we're going to talk today about uh, illness, uh, King Charles III's cancer diagnosis, Kate Middleton's illnesses as well, what that means for government, if it, anything at all. We're also going to talk about Harry and Meghan, of course, the Sussex, Sussexes, because my goodness, how can you avoid talking about them? And a new trailer has dropped on Netflix called Scoop, which deals with Prince Andrew's uh, dramas as well. So we're going to discuss all of that and more. Um, this sort of special edition of the line podcast. Patricia, I have been a big fan of your work for a very long time. But firstly, before we get in, I have to ask you a question. Yes. How does one become a Royals expert? Please save me from my life of debauchery, crime and poor judgment. Okay, so I'm going to say it helps when you've got a research library like mine. That's only this is only a part of it. Um, it's all royalty. It is subject classified because I am by professional librarian. I can do a decimalize. I have not done it, but I can do a decimalize. Um, how I got into it was simple. Um, it was I was a little kid. It was 1977. I've got gray hair, so I can I can uh, cop to that. And two things happened. My family went to Britain for the one big trip we had as all the whole family. And it was Silver Jubilee year. And it seemed like we were following around the queen everywhere she went. And it was this amazing thing because you go in these towns, and there'd be this frisson of excitement because she had just been there um, on her tours for the, for the Silver Jubilee. And she was like the living embodiment in history. And then later that year, I went to see a film with my older siblings. They had to take little Patricia along. So they shoved me in the car. We went to a drive-in and I saw this princess kick butt on, t on the big screen. And it was Princess Leia and it was Star Wars. And you had the queen and that was it. I was hooked. And ever since then, I've been fascinated about royalty. I didn't start writing though until I got to McLean's and I was the chief of research. And it was simply one of the editors who said, look, I, you are always correcting everything we write about royalty. I want you to start writing about royalty. And so I did. And so for like about 18 years at McLean's, I was writing endlessly and then more and more and more and more and more. And there we go. And now I'm freelance and I write about royalty. You know, it's an interesting thing because uh, when I was younger, I didn't really care very much about the royals. And I was probably, I think republicanism is a bit of a re reflex when you're a young Canadian, right? It's like, what, yep. why are these people? I don't exactly. know. What, what are we doing here? Like, we're a democracy. What's going on? Mm -hmm. And of course, you're so influenced by American media that it, it just seems yeah. so bizarre to have this like foreign royal imposed upon you. Um, as opposed to being you know, influenced by the foreign American media, right? Uh, but I got to say, I, that kind of changed as I got older. And as I started to understand the sort of emotional logic for a constitutional monarchy, yeah. I got more and more into it. And then, of course, you see the Canadian system, for all of its many flaws, is a very stable political system compared yeah. to the American system, which is increasingly uh, off the wheel, so to speak. Yeah. And then, of course, Harry and uh, Meghan happen. And Harry and Meghan, 
oh my, uh, like, I have to be honest with you. I, I, I love me a bit of family drama and the family drama coming out of the Royal family has me hooked. I'm yeah. completely, it is my guilty pleasure. I love it. I was raised in a dysfunctional Catholic family. I am here for this family drama and now I can't pull myself away. And so what I'm going to say is that for people of my generation, we all had that in the eighties because we had, um, we had Charles and Di, we had Andrew and Fergie. I mean, Andrew and Fergie came here on a tour in 85, 86, and it was the biggest thing you've ever seen. The crowds were absolutely mammoth. They were here for weeks. And then they went up north on a, on a canoeing trip in, in the Arctic. I mean, when you talk about what we had now, what we had back then, it's simply, it's the next generation, man. Um, and that's what's so fun about, like, a monarchy, right? Is it's family. You get the family drama. Mm-hmm. You know, you get like Queen Margaret of, of Denmark saying to everyone, um, on New Year's Eve, yeah, I'm giving you two weeks notice, I'm gone. One of the reasons why I think it's very interesting why we connect as to the royal family as people who are in Canada is that to some extent they feel like extensions of our own family. I yeah. mean, my, the Queen, for example, died the same year that my own grandmother died and was the same age, exactly the same age. You know, um, pr- uh, Prince Harry and Prince William are about my age. Their kids are about my age. Uh, so even if I can't necessarily relate to their wealth or their lifestyle, certainly I can relate to them on a very human level. On a very, I can connect with them almost on that familial level. They almost feel like extended families to me in a really weird and not totally rational way. Um, and I think that that's that's why a lot of people over time, especially, have a tendency to to connect with them. Also, that family at the top of the uh, the, the hierarchy, even if you know, of course, you're not dealing with a this is a constitutional monarchy. They're not actually making our laws for us. But at the same time, there's a personalization of the state there um, that I think actually demonstrates and shows a lot of stability and and continuity over time. Yeah, and I think I think this is one of the things that I mean. We're talking about constitutional monarchies now, right? And we're talking about today's monarchies, not the monarchies of old. Is that, for, especially for constitutional monarchies, because they are deliberately apolitical, they represent everyone in a way that governments can't, right? They're elected politicians. They represent a subset of the country. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas when you look at the royal family, when you look at the governor generals, they're supposed to represent everyone. And you also see that in what they do. And this is one of the reasons like, you know, why Harry and Meghan had to make a choice. You either had to be a full-time working royal in which you're undertaking, you know, all sorts of engagements on behalf of the monarchy, or you do commercial. You mm-hmm. can't divide your loyalties. And that's the whole thing about the royals is that everything they do is for, is supposed to be for the greater good, right? So, you know, they're with the military, with all the charities, with all the mm-hmm. fundraising, going around doing all the engagements. That's the whole purpose really of the royal family is you're buttressing the monarch. Um, and yeah, the, the Netflix, the crown actually demonstrated that really clearly when you said, no, there's yeah. a, there's the, there's the, there's the ugly aspect of, of politics in the state. And now there's the dignified aspect of the state. And there's a reason why everybody agrees to demonstrate deference to, you know, a, 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 a royal family, even if that's, if we all know that that's not really rational, it's not speaking to our rational it, brains. That's look, not what it's supposed to be. I mean, look, if, if you had been time warped into this era and you said Canada has a head of state who's also the head of state of 14 other countries and who doesn't live in Canada, has never lived full time in Canada, you'd look at people and you go like, 
what are you, were you thinking when you came up with the system? But it works for us. It does. I mean, it, it does. does work because, but also remember the Canadian crown is not the British crown is not the Australian crown. These are completely different entities. Our, our whole system is set up differently. We have governor generals, we have lieutenant governors, but we were completely set up differently. We're a federal system, you know? And so we have a Senate, you know, and it works for us. And it's weird how it works. But at the same time, people don't think about it. And mm -hmm. because you don't think about it, you're like, well, why have it? You know? Um, but then why go to the trouble of, of, of eliminating it, particularly when you see the relative stability of our system compared yeah. to what we compare it to now biannually down south. Um, so it's, 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 a, it's an interesting system. But I want to get into the news here. We yep. want to talk about illnesses. Of course, we know there have been two uh, illnesses in the senior royal family over a really short period of time. Uh, Princess Catherine went into hospital for several days with uh, abdominal surgery. We don't entirely know how serious that was or was not. Um, and then followed shortly thereafter, King Charles III went into hospital for an exploratory surgery for an, an enlarged prostate. And then uh, shortly afterwards, it was revealed that there was a cancer that was found. So tell us, that's firstly, that is a lot of illness in this family in a very short period of time. I can't remember in my lifetime anything quite like that happening in, in any similar fashion, particularly with senior royals that are this young, relative, well, exactly. young being I mean, relative. I mean, he's 75. So mm -hmm. chances are, you know, if you're going to catch, can you know, if you're going to catch, you know, somebody with a cancer diagnosis, it's going to be in your 70s often. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, Kate was completely unexpected. That kind of just came out of left field because we mm -hmm. saw them. We saw them at Christmas. Everything seemed fine. Um, I think there's a few things to talk about. And I think there's there's a generational change. The fact that they even announced a lot of this stuff is actually interesting. I mean, they announced it to a certain extent. We know she had abdominal surgery, but she made it clear that's all we're talking about. We know he had, um, you know, very open about, you know, prostate enlargement procedure. While there, they found something, they tested it's cancer. We know it's not prostate cancer, but that's it. But the fact that they're even telling us that is a sign of just the sign of the time, sign of the change, sign of the different generations. Mm -hmm. Because the Queen and Prince Philip, they they said as little as possible about their health issues. Mm -hmm. I mean, she would just vanish and then you'd find out she was pregnant. Um, mm -hmm. You know, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. um, to this day, we do not know which one of Prince Philip's hips was replaced. I kept waiting and, and for I him to be... respect that. Like, for exactly. people who are, like, they, have, they do have the right to, to, to have those elements of their lives be private up until yep. the point where it compromises their ability to do their functions and jobs. Exactly. And that brings us back to the previous generation. So um, the present king's grandfather, George VI. So it's right after the war. The king's health is not good. He is a chain smoker and he has lung cancer. And mm -hmm. they have to convert um, the Buckingham Palace, one of the ballrooms, into an operating theater. They don't tell anyone. They don't tell anyone that it is it is cancer and that it is terminal. Mm -hmm. um, and that's just that was the way it was done back then. That would not fly today. Um, yeah. And so I think this is now just the new reality. But everything moves very incrementally. I mean, anyone who's seen the crown sees that. Right. Um, so the shift from the beginning of the Queen's reign to the end of the Queen's reign. And now the king is is far more open. And as he said, he said, look, I want people to take public, you know, people Take this as a public health message. If you, if you guys, if you've got issues down there, get them looked at because it could be like me. It could be a simple procedure. Um, and 
But what we don't know is going forward. So he's doing, we know he's doing weekly treatments. He's coming into London for them. He seems fine. He's walking to church every every Sunday. Sandringham, this is early days. And mm -hmm. anyone who's got, had anyone who goes through cancer treatment knows it's cumulative. So mm -hmm. we'll see. But the system is all set up. The, it's not like you have to suddenly reinvent the wheel. You have counselors of state already set up that if, you know, if he's ill or he's out of the country and you need something to be done, they have people who do it. Just so people know, it is the, the new process is it'll only be the working royals who will be picked. So those are the Queen Camilla, William, Anne, and Edward. They made that change. They added Anne and Edward, the king's siblings, last year. So they will be counselors of state. I mean, and if need be, you have a regency. Um, why wouldn't it you know, be? Why wouldn't it be Princess Kate? Why wouldn't she be uh, a councillor? She is. So it is the uh, the the spouse of the monarch, and the next four in line is four oh. adults in line of succession. Okay. But three of them are Harry, Andrew, and Beatrice, who aren't working royals anymore. So they had to add in um, Edward and Anne. And now Harry is Harry is now not on that list anymore at all. So he's technically a councillor state, but he will never be called because he's not a working royal. Uh, so okay. they simply added on and they just said, we're not going to deal with this mess. What, you know, what does, what does counselor state mean in this context? So what it means is that, um, so for instance, when the queen was doing back in the fifties, she was doing all her big travels, right? Mm -hmm. She was going abroad. And back then travels, if you were going off to a, a state visit, you were off for a month. If you needed to have official documents signed, if you had some sort of law that had to be passed that had, you needed royal assent, you would have two councillors of state. So back then it was the queen mother because she still had that duty mm -hmm. and Princess Margaret, um, okay. who was then like, you know, 18 or 20. Right. But still, they, both of them could be councillors of state and could sign stuff into law. So is it just um, that the rebel, the, you're the person holding the rubber stamp or would you be, is there, are there other actual government duties involved could, in that as well? Well, I mean, you've, you've got, you've got all the duties inherent with the throne. If the queen is away, how much can she do from abroad? How much can she not? Times are a lot different now. I mean, so like when the king goes away on, on you know, when he was doing the state visits to France and to Germany, they're short enough that, you know, you can just wait. Sure. You know, it's it's not like the world is going to come to an end. But if, you, if something happens, especially for health reasons, mm -hmm. they can step in. And if it needs to be longer, then that's a regency. And again, that's prescribed by law. This becomes a little tricky for us because Philip Gasset has pointed this out, who's, you know, an expert on the crown. Um, we don't have regency, regency legislation in Canada. Oh, so we, now we could get it. It's not difficult. You we, we would have to, you, but we, but essentially if King Charles has to pass into a regency scenario with Prince William, for example, we would need to pass legislation well, here in Canada to make yeah, that. Yeah, or how much could the governor general do? Oh, you know? okay. But then, but think about it, but then the king has to appoint the governor general. So the governor general right. leaves, you know what I mean? You start becoming, these dominoes start falling, but there's ways around it. I mean, you just, you pass legislation. I mean, it's right. you're not, you know, I think we're way down that road, um, but it's all kind of set up. Then, you know, monarchies don't leave much to chance, you so know? What, what, what are the legal requirements at, at which the, a regency kind of scenario would be invoked? A little bit vague. <laughs> Oh, okay. Because why would you want this? I'm going to be honest, I haven't looked at it for a while. But okay. basically, when it was declared was um, when George III was mad. 
Um, and you okay. had his son step in, the prince regent. He had to step in and take over because he was clearly completely incapacitated. And what we had when the queen was at the very end of her reign, of course, she was delegating a lot of stuff to Charles. Mm -hmm. Was that a soft regency? A soft regency, they mm -hmm. kind of called it. He was very careful um, to never give that indication that it was a regency. He mm -hmm. was very careful. He knew exactly what his duty was. He never crossed that line. Um, but some people could interpret it as a soft regency. He was the one going to the state opening of parliament. He was the right. one meeting foreign heads of state. He was the one doing a lot of the stuff at the end. Okay. But she was still doing her boxes. And the boxes of all... So you have What's red leather. in the boxes? The, again, the crown, we they, see the boxes exactly. all the time. What's in it's, the boxes? They're red leather boxes, Moroccan leather, for those who really want the detail. And basically, it's state papers. So okay. it's papers from not only Britain, but from all the realm countries. So Canada, who has the king of the head of state. But you also have papers from the Commonwealth. Papers from also, he also has to deal with his patronages, his military affiliations, all that sort of stuff. What is Canada sending the the king in these red boxes? Are we sending like, oh, let let me you know there's Certain, a foreign well, interference so going on? Well, things like we need to approve the new coinage, you know? Oh, okay, sure. Does he like the new coinage? Um, we're going to have a bill. He's going to go on the twenty dollar bill. He needs to approve that. But they're also sending him updates on and and the provinces will do that too. Updates on what's happening in the province and what's happening in Canada. Like the queen was always incredibly well informed because she was briefed. She always had these papers coming in, these documents, these briefings coming in. And people would be stunned because they would be like, she'd be talking and she'd be like, okay, let's talk about, you know, the wheat situation in, Al in Alberta and Saskatchewan. Uh -huh. I mean, how's the water, you know, going to, and people would be like going, what? what? She knew she was completely brief and he loves, he loves paperwork. I mean, this is a man who enjoys, he's a workaholic. Mm -hmm. He enjoys paperwork. I mean, don't get me going. So he's still doing all that while he's ill. Um, that all still continues. It's simply the public facing duties that he can't do. Because of course, if you're in cancer treatment, you don't want to be around no. huge crowds of people. So, Absolutely not. Yeah. But it does create a hole. And of course the Sussexes have filled it very well. That gives us a wonderful transition. Like and subscribe at the line. Uh, also, you can see us at our, our written newsletter, which uh, how this podcast ultimately began at www.readtheline.ca. Um, most of the people who subscribe to us like us very much and stay with us for many years. So we have a, a, a big loyal cadre of, of subscribers. So you should consider uh, joining your name to us. Uh, let's talk about uh, the Sussexes. Now, oh, yeah. again, another confession, Patricia. When Meghan Markle married into the royal family, yeah, I was I was great. That sounds wonderful. Again, Harry's almost exactly my age. You know, I grew up with Harry. I I, I feel a connection to him. I feel a bond. And when he married this lovely actress, you know, biracial, it was so great. It was like, oh, you're so awesome. I couldn't Amazing. tell you exactly when I started to get sus a little sus about this whole situation, mm -hmm. but the moment that I think that this couple turn for me wasn't Megxit because I could I you know it's not like I was following closely enough to be able to assess um uh, the actual wow. media coverage of Meghan Markle in the UK I mean I I didn't so when she said like oh the, the coverage of me is racist and, and and intrusive I'm more or less like yeah that's probably right <laughs> like it probably is that uh, you know that we know the UK press is very aggressive 
um, you know, you have the phone hacking scandals, you have the history of Diana there. Uh, and if you were to tell me that the royal family was a touch on the racist side, I was like, yeah, that probably tracks for me. But where I think I kind of, they kind of lost me is when they moved to Vancouver Island. And I was like, yeah. yes, that is consistent with your stated desires to have a more public private life, to get out of the, 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 the sphere of the paparazzi. I mean, my mom's over on the West Coast there. I'm very familiar with Vancouver Island. You know, there's, I think, what, I think the population of it, I think is 250,000 on the island. Yeah. A, p- p- what was very funny was the UK's description of oh. Vancouver Island as some kind of like remote resort. And we're going like, n- n- no, our our yeah. legislatures in Victoria, <laughs> the, the BC yeah. legislatures in Victoria, this is not actually a, that remote. It's not that unpopulated from Canadian standards, but you know, maybe all of Canada is remote and unpopulated, so take your pick. But if, if you were trying to find a, a comfortable, wealthy, even luxurious kind of life surrounded by nature and and fairly unpretentious, decent neighbors who wouldn't bother you too much. And in the long run, I think uh, free of paparazzi, paparazzos, Vancouver Island is a good pick for you. Like, like, yes, so there was some initial paparazzi interest, but like nobody's stationing a full-time paparazzo on Vancouver Island to look after Meg and Harry. So they would have been able to live a, a relatively private, quiet, comfortable life in a Commonwealth location. They could have, there's an international airport in Victoria. They could have traveled across the Commonwealth very easily from there. That made sense to me. That was consistent with what they, what their issues were. I was like, okay, I'm in. Cool. Welcome to Canada. No problem. And then COVID happens and they leave in this really high profile like freedom, well, not high profile at the time, but later what became a high profile, quote unquote, freedom flight to go live with Tyler Perry in Los Los Angeles. And my thinking was, if you're, if you really wanted a dutiful, quiet life of service, Los Angeles and Montecito would not be where you're going. This is, these are very obviously people who are interested in pursuing fame, fortune, attention, and all of the far more shallow accoutrement associated with Hollywood. And that was the moment when they lost me because I was like, okay, this is just not, this is not consistent with your stated values. Your actions are no longer consistent with your stated values. And the the contrast was so glaring as to be unavoidable. And then they did the Oprah interview and we all know now the Oprah interview was just chock-a-block full of lies and misinformation and omissions and all sorts of weird little things that made you go, huh? And this is when I was very firmly on the uh, Sussex deranged syndrome, Harry and Meghan obsessed, who the hell are these people train? Um, And I I, I find that, you know, switching teams at that particular junction has been very fruitful for me because, good Lord, this couple cannot stop. So, Patricia, please tell me, what has been the latest out of Team Sussex? Yes. How, so, firstly, how did they respond to the illness and what raised your eyebrows there? So a few things I'm going to back up and, mm-hmm. you know, you were talking about what raised for you. So for me, as somebody who watches this obviously a lot closer, there mm-hmm. were two things that kind of two moments that kind of made me kind of go, hmm. And the first was the quickness with which they got engaged. So she, mm-hmm. if you go back to fall of 2017, she's finishing up her time at Suits here in Canada. 
It's clear she's going to move to Britain, you know, mm -hmm. live with Harry. That's fine. And then suddenly they're engaged and they're, and they're getting married. And I remember thinking, that is awfully fast because, and the reason for the doubt wasn't their love, you know, you know, fabulous biracial. I mean, they had everything going. Being a member of the royal family is incredibly difficult, especially if you're coming from outside. Mm -hmm. And what they learned when Diana flamed out and what Sarah Ferguson flamed out is they learned that royals coming, people coming in, spouses, women need to take it very, very slowly. So if you look at two successful marriages and two successful entries, Sophie, um, who married Prince Edward and Kate, who married Prince William, they were they were girlfriends. They were together for um, years and years and years to the Read point that TV. Sophie was actually living in Buckingham Palace. I mean, they were living together and they were getting used to the attention because as you said, yeah, the British press is intense and it is an intensity on a scale of that you simply just cannot understand. And one minute people are up one minute, they're down, then they're back up and then they're back down. I mean, there is no rhyme or reason. They, um, they they also were all raised by dysfunctional Catholic families and are super into the family drama. So like they're into it. So, they're here. Well, they're here for exactly. this team. So, but I think that the reason they've had so, so much su success with, with Kato and Sophie is that you had that time, you slowly dip your toe in. You had plenty of time to back out mm -hmm. if this was not what you wanted. And also royal life is a bit boring. I'm going to be honest. You're doing a lot of charity work and a lot of charity work is very good. It's very worthy. It is a little boring. There is also a pecking order. This is monarchy. I'm going to be honest. I'm telling you a family secret. It's a family dynamic and the people at the top of the family get all the, the prime stuff mm -hmm. and they get the, you know, the prime seats in the cathedral and they get the, if they want to do this sort of charity work, then that's what they get to do. I mean, this is, it is a family. It's a, it's a generational family business, right? And I always go back to what the heck did, did, did Harry tell Megan that royal life was like, because they just plunged into it. So that's one moment. And then the other moment that kind of kind of crystallized it for me was the day they left. And so it was January 2020. They put out that email. We're stepping back. We're going to work in partnership with the Queen. We're going to be kind of in. We're going to do all these commercial ventures. So Hollywood didn't surprise me. I said mm -hmm. there was no way they were staying in, in Victoria. They're going down to back to L.A. That's where she's from. That's where she's comfortable. She's got all she kept all her staff with her. Um, I said that was going to happen. That same day that they made that announcement, it made it sound like a fait accompli. Completely surprised his family because it wasn't a fait accompli. Mm -hmm. Completely surprised the queen because it wasn't a fait accompli. Mm -hmm. They put up this this website called Sussex Royal that had all everything they thought they were going to be doing. And it's still up. You can still look at it. And it was basically them saying, this is all going to happen. We're going to keep all our security. The British, basically the British taxpayer is going to pay for all this stuff. I'm thinking, how are the British taxpayer going to pay for security when you're in the U.S. Mm -hmm. or in Canada? Like, no. Yeah, no, no, they're not. That's not going to happen. And and it was just all this, this is everything going, and they're making it sound as though it's, it's a done deal. And it was that moment that I kind of went, they do not know what's coming ahead of them. Um, and I wrote a piece kind of, within that week, maybe within a day or two, saying they basically went into exile. Mm -hmm. um, 
they kind of separated from the royal family. There was a lot of angst. There was a lot of, you know, drama, lots of publicity. And then after a while, they started losing favor because all they could do is basically a lot of what the Duke and Duchess of Windsor did, a lot of what Harry and Meghan has done, Oprah interview and everything, is criticizing the family. I mean, six hours of Netflix, that series, that, Harry That was and a Meghan. little excessive and very boring. And well, it was a little, I'm going to be honest, it was, it was amazing, though. We got to see, like, sonograms. I mean, who gets to see royal sonograms? I've never seen a royal sonogram. Well, uh, I mean, if those sonograms Lord, was... were real, Patricia, let's not, we can, we so can go we can, there if we, we want. We can go there. And it's, but it's very much from their point of view, but it's it's relitigating the same stuff. And then Harry's memoir came out, relitigating the same stuff. And so I could see this path they're going down. And, and it's not enough to say what are you going to do in the next year or two? But what are you going to do in five years? What are you going to do in mm -hmm. 10 years? What are you going to do in 15 years to support yourself and to keep yourself relevant if you want, if that's what you want? And this is what I've always said to people. There's tactics and then there's strategy. I see a lot of tactics with them. I don't see a lot of strategy, long-term right. strategy. Right. And for that, and so then, we could talk about what's happening now. So what are they doing? The Archwell brand, you know, is, I don't think it really resonated with a lot of people. So they just rebranded themselves. They've got, they bought the Sussex.com website. It's very royal looking. It's very glam. Their titles are there. Megan's coat of arms is there. Not Harry's, Megan's. Um, are 99.99% of people going to know the difference between the coat of arms? No, but it's very royal. And for people who wanted to kind of leave the royal life, it's a little royal. But also coming from someone, how do I say this? It's an American's fantasy of, re, of royal. Yeah. There's nothing, it, it, well, looking at this from a Canadian perspective, someone who's raised in a constitutional monarchy, yeah. we look at this and it comes off to us as really tacky because we're constantly surrounded by the real royal. Like, you know, you all of our court cases are the king versus or the queen, you know, like we're exactly. we're surrounded by actual coat of arms. I mean, my, yeah. I just got my passport. Don't get me started on the passport redesigns. I got the old, the last of the old stock of the passport with the oh, Canadian. Oh, you have the coat of arms? I've still got the coat of arms for another 10 years. Yeah. Um, not the terrible God awful redesign that looks like it was designed in Microsoft uh, word, but. Oh, trust me. There were some old, terrible designs. Uh, that's fair. I'm sure. Oh, I just hate, I just hate the designs. new one. I just hate the new one. I hate them. I'm a traditionalist when it comes to oh. Canadian aesthetics. But anyway, like we're constantly surrounded by yeah. the by the apparatus of real real royalty, yeah. by by mm -hmm. by the symbols of real state. Yeah. And so when you look at the Sussex.com sort of faux royalty, it feels like a celebrified, Americanized fantasy of that. Mm -hmm. And it comes off as inauthentic to me. Like it comes off as gratingly inauthentic. Yes, but I don't think you're the audience. I'm not. Oh no, we emphatically are not the think, audience. I don't think Britain's the audience. Absolutely think, it isn't. I think that's kind of, that ship has sailed. Mm -hmm. That's not the audience. That's not who they're trying to appeal to. Um, and so, you know, <sighs> People are like, well, does it does it does it break the agreement that they they made with the Queen when they left, when they said they wouldn't commercialize royal connections? And I'm thinking, well, how is it different from using, you know, Harry's memoir didn't say, you know, 
Harry, you know, Harry Sussex or, you know, Harry Mountbatten Windsor. It said Prince Harry, you know, mm -hmm. they use their titles everywhere. Mm -hmm. um, I don't see a big difference. I'm just waiting to see what they're going to do five years down the line. Um, and I keep going this. I mean, they've now been out of the public. They've now been out of working royals for four years. Mm -hmm. And they were only together as working royals, the two of them, since their marriage to when they went to Canada, 18 months. Yeah. So that is all stale dating. And so, and yet at the same time, what everyone really is curious about, what everyone really wants, what has become successful for them, the memoir, um, you know, the Netflix series and everything, that is royal based. But you can't keep dipping in that well. Like, I do not want to hear one more time about who made who cry about bridesmaids dresses. <laughs> Just like no. we're tired of it, Do or or, or, who, or the fight between Harry and William because William was like, "Gee, maybe you should slow it down, bud." Exactly, and so I just wonder, what are they going in five years? What are they going to be doing? And and let's face it, you know, if they can make it work as producers in Hollywood, more power to them. That is a brutal industry. There, you have to constantly reinvent yourself. I mean. I don't think the Kardashians changed their hair color for the sheer heck of it. I mean, no, you, have, and you have to reinvent yourself. And good. even That's if behind the scenes, it's behind hard. the scenes, you're, yeah, exactly. You're being judged on what you last did. Yeah. And what did they last do? Well, let's talk about what they last did because yeah. they, uh, just this week, uh, Mer Megan has signed on with a podcast production company called Lemonada. Um, yep. My understanding is that they are going to take all of the old archetypes podcasts that used to be exclusive to Spotify. So now they're going to spread those yep. to all of the podcast, how should I say this, distribution networks. And yep. I think that they're, that she's going to be working with Lemonada, I think, to produce some new content, probably on a different model or a different way of frame creating the yep. podcast than they did previously with archetypes. Because let's talk about archetypes, despite the fact that it had incredible production staff, probably top of the business level um, uh, back end and some of the really most famous people happening right now, particularly some of those famous women as, as, as the interview subjects, that podcast didn't do well. Um, it really it started well. out very well as, you know, a splash and then it just trailed then, right off yeah. because it was, I don't know if you actually managed to get through any of the archetypes podcasts. They were almost as bad as the Netflix special, but it, like, they were dreadfully dull. I'm going to, I'm going to push back a bit. They were not my cup of tea. Um, I, you know, that's not it. I'd listened to a lot of podcasts. They weren't my cup of tea. I heard from other like friends and other people who really liked them, um, but they didn't do well. And also they had already been, that was, they only came out with those, what, 12 episodes, two years into the contract. And that that's... was an incredibly lucrative contract. And so Spotify just said, that's it. The contract's over. Like they cut it early. Well, can I also just say 12 episodes for two years? That's not that is no. not a high turnover exactly. rate. Like generally in the podcasting industry, if you're not producing one to two a week, exactly. get out. And like so, you're not, that's not so, good. So I think this might be a reality. I mean, A, I don't think this is anywhere near as lucrative. I mean, I think no, that's fair be. to say. Um, and I don't know how much support they're going to have. You know, I don't, I don't think it's, as you pointed out, I don't think it's going to be anywhere no, near. If you looked at those, the, back end. the producer credits on that, on those archetypes they were huge yes but maybe this is a way for saying hey we can we can scale down we can well, be more, more realistic so it you looks know, to me like one thing i mean there's a lot of expectation with a 20 million dollar contract i mean oh, yeah. that comes with a lot of expectations i scrolled around the lemonado website and to me it seems yeah. like their model is we're going to identify 
high profile, broadly progressive, usually woman, and we're going to build 10 to 20, maybe up to 40 episodes around this woman's brand. I mean, Samantha B also seems to have a, a deal with them. Um, Jeanette McArdle, who wrote, um, I'm glad my mother died, had a, had a, had a bit of a run with them. Mm-hmm. And I think it's a bit of a, it's a bit of a fishing exercise to, to, to some extent. You, you, you put these high profile names up there, you yep. see if they do the podcast that's going to hit. And then if you get a viral success, that one can carry the entire broadcast, that entire could carry the entire network. There's nothing yeah. in their lineup to date that I have ever heard of prior to looking around. No, so no, and and that's the same for me. But I also think it's it's the reality now. Four years down the line, mm-hmm. and this, this is where they are. I mean, I think, and 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 I'm gonna say this actually kind of makes sense to me. You know, don't put all your eggs in one basket. Spread sure. it around because basically what they've got going is the Netflix deal, and the Netflix deal, the all the reporting is that it was a five-year deal and it's that means it's up for renewal or cancellation next year well so you either renew it or that's it and so you know they've talked about the fact that there's a whole bunch of stuff in early development as you and i know a lot of stuff it state goes into, goes into early development never comes out there. of early development yeah. so unless something comes down the pipe I, I'm going to be very curious. I mean, and unless something comes down the pipe, then the last thing that they have produced for them. So last year they did the Invictus documentary series, which didn't do very well. And that had been going for, for a very long time before they were able to get that on air. And it went on air, I think in August, you know, which is not a great month. And before that was December, 2022 with the Harry and Megan. So can I just, as, as this is a content creator, yeah, would would say I think that Megan's got a significant problem if she thinks that her career lies in building out from a podcast. Um, not to say that you know Matt and I have been wildly successful in podcasts, but we've been doing podcasts between the two yeah. of us for many years now. Yeah, in a Canadian market on a fairly niche topic, right? And that's been fine for us. Um, but Megan's got a problem, and that is if you want to be good at podcasting, you have to be one of two things or a combination of these two things. Either you have to be a really, really excellent interviewer. You have to be very, very good at bringing, identifying interesting people, bringing them on and drawing them out. Like that is a skill. Um, and any journalist can tell you that's a, that's a skill that takes years and years to develop and learn. It's not as simple as just we're shooting the shit, right? or you have to be really, really interesting yourself. You have to come to the table with a lot of interesting original ideas. You're constantly thinking about things, you're thinking about the world around you, and you're coming up with original concepts that you can talk about. Um, Or you have to be sort of a subject matter expert, and that's kind of Matt and I's space. Like we we talk about Canadian politics, right? So we, we ourselves don't have to be that interesting or compelling or engaging because what we're talking about is interesting and compelling and engaging. Yeah. And I don't see where Megan fits any of those, those, she doesn't check any of those buckets. Like from her Archetypes podcast, she didn't even do half the interviews herself. All of the interviews on that podcast with subject matter experts were actually being done by the producers. And then the producers and then her questions were being spliced in over the producers, which is why the interviews felt so inauthentic and clunky. Um, so she's not a good interviewer. She had a tendency when she was doing the interview view to talk over and put words into the mouths of the people she was interviewing. So she wasn't even, she wasn't drawing people out. She was imposing herself on them and she was trying to build her brand off them. And you could feel that. And that created a tension that I think was very off-putting. 
And she's not a subject matter expert. She's not an expert in anything. The only thing that they are subject matter experts is, as you've said, their grievances with the royal family. That's it. Um, so what, what is she going to talk about feminism? Okay, I... she could have a really interesting podcast about feminism. But okay, then let's you need to do your research and your homework, read all of the seminal texts on feminism, come up with some original ideas, and talk to some of the the, the people who are in that space making that space happen. Yeah. And she she can't get over the celebrity mindset enough to actually do that work. So I would be frankly shocked if she came up with a product that was that was able to identify an audience and 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 connect with yeah. it. Um, aside from the people who, you know, the online world sort of rather famously calls the sugars, the people who are attached to her personal story because they identify their own their own personal grievances, their own personal story, and they kind of project it onto her. And she becomes this this figurehead, this brand of of, of their own emotional issues and ambitions. Um, which you I mean, have a, thought about this a oh, long time. Way too much. Oh, oh Patricia, I am not well. <laughs> I am not a healthy saint. What I, what I will say, though, human being. I mean, and I and I don't know how much the podcasting is going to be part of their big thing because I mean, well, sure, they have they bought the rights to that romantic hit novel, which you was know, actually Meet written by a classmate of mine, a former classmate of mine, and uh, went formerly Amazing. by our thing. Yeah, so I mean, I, she, yeah, exactly, Canadian. So they're yeah, making she, so that which is congratulations, the, yay, exactly. <laughs> good for you, so right? That like, made, and that's awesome. very Netflix, right? I mean, yes, romances and that sort of stuff. Um. But yeah, it's the question is it just it feels like a little bit of scattershot. And yeah, and and where this comes back to me is that I was looking at their the Archwell Foundation and all their their legal filings with the with their charitable authorities in the US, because mm-hmm. you have to file, you have to do all yep. the files. And so I pulled them and I did a and um one of one of the issues in my newsletter was about it. And they basically the only donations, the only money coming in is basically from three huge donations, one mm-hmm. for $10 million and one each for, I think, a million dollars or $2 million. And this last year, they only spent like about $1.2 million, And mm-hmm. it was like 16 organizations, mostly in the States. Mm-hmm. And you have to say what ones they were. And I'm just looking at them and it was a scattershot. And I think that's the term that I would use mm-hmm. is that they... What they do seems to be scat. It seems to be royalty, or scattershot. It seems, and I'm not sure how that works long term because I I just I don't get it. Um, now there are a lot of people who I think are betting on them to 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 make it. And let's face it, Hollywood loves a redemption story. They love a comeback story. They love that sort of thing. So I think if they can hit liquid gold with anything, then I think they're off to the races. Um, the question is, can they can they find that elixir um, four years out? Um, because let's face it, they've got a lot of they've got a lot of big expenses. Um, their lifestyle is expensive. Now they've got a lot. They had a lot of money coming in, but again, you've got to think ten years down the line. You know, what are you going to be doing in ten years? They've got a lot of staff. They've had a huge amount of staff turnover. There, I think they're fascinating simply because. You know, the reason we're talking about them so much is the you know, percentage of this podcast is because they did. They left. The, they they did what nobody thought that ever anyone would ever want to do. They left the royals, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and then kind of want to come back, but don't. They want to come back on their own terms. It's interesting. Um, it's, it's and this been... is and this is going to be this is going to be the issue. Are they going to come back on their own terms? 
Well, I don't, I don't think so. The other thing it's going to be interesting is that it seems to me that they focused a lot of money and attention on things like PR agency representation. Yeah. Um, we're, we're going to get the, the, the flashy, shiny Hollywood um, PR agency to get us in the news again and again and again. And none of that high profile, very expensive um, professional help seems to have helped them deal with the problem of overexposure. Yeah, and I they're think... wildly overexposed and they don't seem to understand that that's a problem. And yeah. then the other problem is that there's nobody seemingly looking at them and, and helping them or they're not taking the advice is the other possibility. But it doesn't seem to me like there's somebody sitting back and having these sorts of, okay, high level strategic conversations about where you need to be focusing your energy and your time so that yeah. you can build a lasting and sustainable business or brand, right? Exactly. And I think, you know, like, as we're taping this, they are right now in Vancouver, Whistler. Um, mm -hmm. It's the one-year countdown to the Invictus Games. So they're sure. doing very quasi-royal sort of engagements. They're promoting the Invictus Games, which are going to be next year. Um, you know, it's an incredibly good cause. I mean, it's, it's, it's a cause that, you know, especially Harry completely loves. I mean, you just see him and he's just in his element. And I saw him when he was here in Toronto doing the Invictus Games. And he loves that sort of thing. But he hates doing the publicity. I mean, and I saw mm. that in Toronto. It was kind of, I kind of went, whoa. It was 2017 before any any of these stories came about. I mean, they were still dating. And I remember kind of going like, I get, you get these flashes of anger. And I remember talking to one of the British press. And I said, um, like, um, and they're like, oh yeah, all the time. Like he hates um, us. But also that's he different because us. he never used to be like that. Prior to Megan, he apparently had a really good rapport with no, the media. No, this is, no. I'm, oh, is that I'm wrong? Honest, so he always was kind of resentful. He was always had flashes of anger. He mm. never liked the media. He never liked kind of those performance parts of the job that are part of the job that like, does everyone like every part of their job? They're no. parts of my job. Like, I'm sorry. If you want me to do expenses, like, you know, you, um, I hate it. I do it. It's part of my job. If you want to have attention for your charities and all your efforts, you need the media to give you the attention. Therefore, you have to be in front of the media. That's to, part of the job. You have to develop and if a, you don't a relationship want it, with the media. Yeah. You, and you don't have to be a working royal. And this is what I always say to people. I say, if he really hated it so much, he could say, you know what? I'm not going to be a working royal. I'm going to be very quiet. I'm going to go off to the side and I'm going to do my stuff. And, and people would have been like, oh, that's really too bad. Da, 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 da. You know, he and William and stuff like that. But they would have accepted it. If they wanted to continue with all of this and just do it on a quieter scale. But they didn't. So he likes the media, but only on his terms. Yeah. And as you know, that's not how the media works. That's not works. how media works. I mean, we could get into a whole side yeah. conversation about his, Harry and Meghan's war against free speech and war against the media under the guise well, of online I mean, safety protection and bullying, right? Exactly. But, I mean, look, he's 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 about to have to write a check for about seven hundred and fifty thousand pounds mm -hmm. because he sued the Mail for libel for defamation for an article they wrote about um, how he was kind of spinning his security demands. Because that lawsuit, that 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 other mm -hmm. legal suit that he's got out, and he had to withdraw it because the judge, the judge said in a, in a kind of an interim judgment that came out in December, said that the male had a really good case for proving that Harry Harry and his folks um, conducted a master class of spinning, and that was a direct quote from the judge. Hmm. 
intended to deceive the public. And so Harry had to withdraw that and he now has to pay their costs, maybe 750,000. I mean, we'll know when the final, when the, when the, when the, the judge uh, issues a, a thing about the costs, but I mean, that's massive. Well, I think, the and that's that, one that, of what four or five suits he's got out right now. Well, I, and I think that one of the things that, that things that people in the general public may not understand that, that people who are in journalism like myself maybe do is that Harry and Meghan's decision to constantly be in the media isn't something that's happening to them. They're not a victim of this. This is a choice they're making, yeah. right? Like this is not, we're not in the nineties anymore where these people would be hounded by paparazzos against their will. That yeah. that era is gone and has been gone for a really long time. Now, if you want to get snapped, usually it's because you're calling up a photo agency to snap you and you're setting an appointment and usually taking a cut of the proceeds. Like, well, and look, look at, look at Kate. Do you not think now, if there was a picture of her, you know, recovering, do you, I mean, the British press, A, would never touch it because there is this cordon There's around their private yeah. life that is that is this de facto agreement that they've got. But do you not think the European the European tabloids, the Asian tabloids, the American tabloids, they would buy that in a heartbeat, in but, a heartbeat. There is no picture out there yet. But and the industry is just that not is what there are still paparazzis who are very invasive, but the industry Absolutely. is just not what it was even 20 years ago. So at, this this these are yeah. these are choices that they're making to continually keep themselves in the public domain and the public eye. And I'm saying if I yeah. were advising them from not only a media point of view, but from a strategic point of view, I'd say part of the 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 uh, value and brand value in the sort of royal prestige is glamour prestige. and mystery. Yeah, it and is mystique. Yeah, it's mystique. And when you are putting yourself out there for like, low quality spawn con paparazzi walks in parking lots in Montecito, you're actually damaging your brand in the long term, your better bet would be to be seen way, way less, yeah. and then demonstrate through successful production credits, that you were interested in creating compelling content that you weren't actually in. You know what I mean? Yes. Like just, just produce the content. Oh, Don't be agreed. And and I had thought this year because they signed on with what WME, which is a mm -hmm. huge talent agent. I mean, they are really sharp people. Mm -hmm. And I had thought that this would be the year that they would really kind of step back because there's no huge royal events for them to come to. Mm -hmm. There's no jubilee funeral or coronation right mm -hmm. there's nothing kind of tying them to the royals nothing like nothing on the calendar coming up in the future and i had i had always said you know if anyone's really smart they should really just kind of retrench mm -hmm. you know focus build, on the work rebuild everything and yep. just put their head down and work and yet i've been talking about them now nonstop since non -stop. the beginning of the year like the fact, the and, fact that we have devoted so much of this podcast to talking yeah. about them literally is is not a good sign for them. That's not. I, that's, you see, I that's don't. I don't think so. And I, and in a way, I kind of want them to succeed. I mean, this is a path they've chosen. I want them to succeed. I, you know, I want them to produce good stuff. I want to see what's coming out of their minds because I mean, I think I think it could be really interesting. Um, but it just never quite materializes. It's always, well, this is coming, this is coming, this is coming. She's gonna bring back her Instagram. Remember that was that was the yes, talk for which months. is essentially an affiliate marketing play. That's all that exactly. is. Exactly. So, but then you have to be really careful because of course Kim Kardashian just got like fined, what was it like I think about a million dollars or something like that 
by one of the one of the agencies in the U.S. because she wasn't declaring what was an ad and what wasn't on mm. her properly. You have to be Mm-hmm. really Right. careful. The rules, the rules have completely changed from when Megan had her TIG account. Well, not only have Um, the rules and changed, but I would also say the standards of professionalization have gone up. exactly. You can't, And, and you can't just, you know, take iPhone photos anymore and expect that nope. that's just easy money for you. Because to be an influencer now, you're now looking at professional photo shoots. You're now looking at a, at a baseline Yeah. standard Yeah. that her, And her also, previous content doesn't meet. and also there's a lot of competition now. Mm-hmm. Like there's a lot of competition from around the world. hmm There's Mm-hmm. influencers coming out of, you know, from everywhere, you know, from Asia, from South America, all that sort of stuff. But also, and this is kind of the elephant in the room that nobody kind of likes to talk about, but they're both in their forties. And Yeah. in Hollywood, that is not so much a good thing. It's less of a, it's less of a bad thing, but it's not so much of a good thing. It's not, it's hard to be a, a highly And attractive yeah. influencer Yeah. front of camera And, person post 40. and, and I've got to think, I, I, mean, I go back to, ourselves accepted, Patricia, like, oh, come oh, on now. we just, we could <laughs> just go forever. I mean, look, I know. look, I've got the flame <laughs> and I've, I've gone it's gray great. and It's it's fantastic. like, I'm gone. The vibe Um, you're giving off is amazing to me. I'm loving it. that, um, what I would say is that I, I'm going to go back to Harry flying after Charles got the publicly said he had cancer. Harry then flew to London. So that is what, like, I think an 18 hour flight, it is eight time zones. They met for 30 or 40, 45 minutes. I mean, yes, that's, that's it. And then it got on a flight and went back. And the fact that we know about it is weird. The fact that we know about it is weird, but we don't know. Here's the thing. We don't know what was actually said in that meeting. No. So We that don't. hasn't leaked. And that is interesting because if you want rec true reconciliation, um, especially from the Royals point of view, you need privacy. Mm -hmm. Of course. And I think this is an indication they need to bump the, keep the brand up and they need publicity. But what the Royals are looking at to see, yes, you can have all the publicity you want, but don't talk about us. And, and I think that that might be the way down. And if so, Somebody was saying, well, what do you think the next step would be? Like, if there is a reconciliation. And Charles loves his son. Charles wants to see his grandkids. Charles wants to do this. He, They've never, unlike William and Harry, which seems, that seems a hard and fast split. Charles has always been like, you know, I'm not going to choose between my sons. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm not going to. There's a way to kind of patch things up. Every family, you go through these angst. We all have, we all have a branch of our family that's like kind of, ooh. And mm -hmm. Yeah, but they but he needs to see that this is actually a genuine attempt at reconciliation exactly, and not and an attempt to sort of give themselves more material to then sell. well, and I think that's the concern because I remember that in Harry's memoir in Spare, he reveals what William and Charles said to him immediately after their grandfather's funeral, Yeah. immediately after Prince Philip's funeral. Yeah. So that is a huge thing. And of course, he slagged Queen Camilla, whom Charles adores. You know, basically saying she was like an evil stepmother who was, you know, throw bodies in the street to get what she wanted. I'm like, uh, I'm that not sure is that just, that that quite aligns yeah, that does with the not, Camilla that the rest of us see, but I, I don't, I don't think so. But 
so what is the kind of the next step? And I think the next step is probably going to be, we'll see what happens with the cancer, mm -hmm. but I think probably maybe they go to Sandringham or they go to Balmoral, which is even more private. Mm -hmm. And anything that happens will be in private. So if well, they also means that they can litmus product. test out, they can litmus test any. It's going to be leaks, right? it's going to be step by step by step to see if they can repair the damage. But the concern is always going to be it's always going to be, are they writing stuff down? Are they recording stuff? I you know it, that is going to be a real issue because can especially also... especially from the Netflix thing, they were recording in Buckingham Palace even before they were leaving. Oh, so can I say my my theory, and then we will put a close yep. to this particular chapter. My theory is that that without using uh, clinical terms that I am not qualified to use, my theory is that Harry and Meghan are in a very dysfunctional relationship, um, and Harry is very has been isolated in that dysfunctional relationship and is now very trapped uh, in that relationship. And my suspicion is that Charles, who I think has his own sort of uh, unaired grievances with his own marriage with Diana can relate very deeply with where Harry's at. Yeah. And my theory is that uh, he's very empathetic to the situation that Harry finds himself in. I mean, Harry's not the brightest guy, right? He's empathetic to the situation that his perhaps not so bright son has landed himself in and would like to give him a, an avenue out of his predicament without putting himself or his son, other son at risk. That's my theory about the dynamic that's happening there. That could possibly be it. Yeah. I mean, we, you know, I think we'll know. Um, I think Charles the King is very much like the late queen. The late queen could bury her head in the sand. She didn't want family drama. I mean, she would mm -hmm. only have to do stuff when she had to do stuff. So she only made the ultimatum to uh, Harry and Meghan, you're in or you're out. Mm. when she had to she it was only after that bbc interview that we're going to get we're going to talk to about the netflix thing with prince andrew when he just basically destroyed any chance he had of staying in the public eye as a working royal she had to make that choice um and i think charles is like that he likes having his family there you know, you saw it at Sandringham for Christmas. All the family was going there. They were all there. Look, Fergie got to go to church with them. And if Fergie can go with church with them, then anything is possible. Mm -hmm. um, she put in, you know, years, and she blabbed everything, but she put in years of being, you know, of just basically not saying, saying the, the basic, the kind of the, the generic things about the royals, but not giving away anything. And she's back. Because, you know, in the end, he wants his family to be happy. What I think he's done really well, um, the king, is he separated very clearly, I think, in the public's eye, the difference between his relatives and the working royals. Mm. And he has put a very clear distinction between those two. And I think that no matter what happens with his relationship with Harry and Meghan, I think the public is clear. They're not coming back to working royals. They're going to be his family. And there's a separation between that and working royals who are working on behalf of the monarchy. Like and subscribe yep. the line. We are going to talk about one more thing, but I think we're going to have to keep it really, really brief because yep. we have, I mean, we could talk about this for three yep. hours. We could totally yep. do a Joe Rogan on this. Um, but firstly, I want to talk a little bit about the Netflix trailer that's just dropped. 
So this is the Netflix awesome. trailer about Scoop, and this is about uh, Prince Andrew, and of course, I believe all of the Epstein stuff. Yes. So this is this is this. You're back in November, December, twenty. Uh, 19 mm -hmm. and he sits down for an interview with Emily Maitlis who is an incredible reporter for the BBC um investigative reporter and it just destroys him right it's this is the one where about, he said he didn't sweat right exactly it it's could, talking this about this couldn't his relationship. be me because I don't sweat he's trying to explain his relationship with about Jeffrey Epstein who is a convicted pedophile when he continued the relationship even after the conviction mm -hmm. and he's trying to he's trying to do this and emily maitlis is, is incredibly prepared i mean i think it's actually it is a master class in how to do an interview mm -hmm. and there's a book that came out called scoop based on how they got the interview and andrew and his people thought it was a great interview Ooh. they thought it was they came out of there and they thought oh this is a great interview we put our side across I looked at it and my head was like just dropping. My jaw was dropping. And I was emailing my editors going, I need to write about this right now. Like yeah, I need, yeah. you're going to get a story in 15 yeah. minutes because he's destroyed himself. Yeah. This is about that scoop. And so it's airing in April. So just after Easter, just at the start of the Royal, this the spring season for the Royals, which is the busiest part of their year. And there's always this thing about, you know, now that the king has been sidelined, now that, you know, Kate is recovering, you know, do they need more working royals, you know, and people are like, well, Andrew, like, no, no. he's never coming back. <laughs> what about Andrew's daughters? And I'm like, no, because not only do they have, they have commercial, like they have jobs. We're talking about uh, uh, Eugenie and, and um... Eugenie and Beatrice. Thank you. But their husbands are in jobs they have careers that involve basically marketing and pr mm. so not only would you have to separate those two from their working lives you'd have to separate probably their husbands as well mm. and then what happens 20 years down the line when william and kate's kids become working royals then you don't right. need them well they just get discarded and their, then their careers that they've been working on you yeah. just say bye-bye like yeah so, but the timing is exquisite for Netflix and the trailer is out and it is amazing. Amazing. Jillian okay. Anderson, Rufus Sewell, it looks fabulous. Okay. On that note, I am going to put a pin in this. Patricia, yeah. I'm sure that there will be more drama to come and we will see how popular this podcast is. And if, if people like it, then we will, we will be having you back because I love talking to you. Um, and if you want to write some stuff about any of this, please come to us. Uh, I'm allowed. We're allowed. Uh, thank you so much to, uh, for, for our special guest, Patricia Treble, who is a Canadian royal watcher slash expert, I think the go-to on such matters. Um, we really appreciate your time on this. And uh, again, like and subscribe to the line. Uh, normally we do Canadian politics, but we try to focus out on Canadian culture and all kinds of great stuff. So if you are interested in a truly independent voice, we are not government funded in the least 100% Canadian funded um, Canada's last best hope for fun and irreverent commentary. Meet us at www.readtheline.ca. That's www.readtheline.ca. Thanks again.